Welcome to Pathfinders, a topical series for men. The world around us is a mess and it's changing rapidly and not for the better. Men are struggling to find their way. They find themselves in a forest of issues and challenges that has grown up around them and there does not appear to be a clear pathway out. And because men are the way they are, they might not even realize that they are lost in that forest of issues and challenges. And even if they do realize it, they may not ask for help. Any forest, no matter how dense or unknown it is, can be navigated if there is someone who knows the way knows where the pathways are, know, knows where the danger is, knows which paths to take and which ones to stay away from. My objective for this series is threefold. First, to help men understand their circumstances, their situation. A man cannot know where to go if he does not first know where he is. This will also include helping them to see their need for a pathfinder in their life. Second, we all need pathfinders for some part of our lives. So what should we be looking for in a pathfinder? What are the traits and characteristics of this person, of this man who will help us to find the right path? Third, all men should aspire to be pathfinders. This series should give those men who sense the calling to lead others the tools they need to be pathfinders. Ultimately, this series is about discipleship. This world is a mess, and there are lots of reasons why the world is the way that it is, and it won't be fixed until Jesus comes back. Until then, God is calling his men to stand up and lead people, as many as will follow, away from the darkness that is so pervasive in this world. The world has a leadership problem, and God has given the church the power through the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It is far past time for God's men to stand up and start leading. Welcome to Pathfinders. Arrange our lives in such a way that, that Christ could be seen in us, that Jesus would be our all in all, and that, and that as people see and, and interact with our lives, that they would, they would know Christ through our lives, Lord God. Even if, even if our words are fail to express um, just what we believe and know the way that we ought. Lord, let our lives be a reflection of your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your love, your hope, your peace, your truth, your love, Lord God. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for this time, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, gentlemen, welcome to the men's breakfast. Here we are again. Um, in our series, Pathfinders. Yeah, I, I have not had a great start at um, it, but I'm really excited about our Agabus co-op. We um, started off well, and then some critter came along and ate all my stuff. So I am now at war with squirrels. The last several months, we've been learning how to grow things using hydroponics, and uh, we, you know, we learned that you can't just grab a handful of seeds, throw them into things, and then go out the next morning and harvest some crops. Well, I think Kevin probably could, but the rest of us can't. 
You know, several things that need to be attended to if you're hoping to have a harvest. On the, the handout that you have in front of you, you have two hexagons, and I used a hexagon because I needed six sides, so don't, don't ask me why I didn't use a parallelogram or some other geometric figure. I needed six sides, so we get a hexagram, hexagon, hexadecimal, I don't know what I'm talking about here. A trapezoid. Around the edges of the hexagon on the left side, you see six things that need to be attended to. And, and, and obviously, if I, if, I was, if I needed more sides, I could add more things. But seeds, germination, water, nutrients, sunlight, and pests, which I had to insist was on my list because of my issues. And so each, each one of these has details that need to be attended to. So, you know, like, you know, you know, if you pick seeds, you know, if you want to, if you want to grow tomatoes, what kind of seeds do you need to get? Potato seeds. To, that's right, David, tomato seeds. I'm not playing your game. You know, things like water. If you're going to use water, because, you know, in hydroponics, you need water. It's kind of like in the name. If you use tap water... Tap water contains chemicals that aren't really good for your plants. And so if you're gonna, you, you, take the, you have to let that water set for 24 hours to allow the chemicals to off-gas. And then you have to pH balance the water because plants like the water at a certain pH level or a range of pH. And so you need to attend to these things. Again, if your hope is to get a harvest of things that you can eat, or give away, or whatever you're going to do with them, you need to attend to these things. What happens if you omit or ignore one of these six factors? Well, the reality is, I mean, you can do all, you can do five of them perfectly, but then if you don't give it enough light, sunlight, you are going to get either no harvest or a poor harvest. So we have to tend to all six of them in the appropriate amount, in the right ways, looking for all the details for each of them to get the greatest harvest. The greater harvest we want, the more we need to attend to those things. So if you would, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you need Bibles, they're scattered around the room. 1 Timothy chapter 6. God is looking for a harvest from our lives. That, that God didn't save us just so that we could be saved. That there is something God is hoping is going to come out of our lives. He's, he's attending to us. He's tending us. And he's looking for a harvest. And, but it's not just a, a passive thing where we sit and, you know, kind of just sit in the ground and, you know, produce a fruit. There's things that we need to do as well. In Romans 8, 29, it says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. On the right side of your handout, you see another hexagon that says that in the center has the word Christ-likeness. This is the harvest that God is looking for from us. And for each of us, we could spend some time and talk about what Christ-likeness looks but for each of us, it's going to have a slightly different look. Like, for example, if each of us were to set out to plant a hydroponics garden, there's a 99.999% chance that we're all going to do it differently. We're going to produce different fruit, 
th different things are going to come up. We're, we're going to do better at certain things than others. Same thing is true with our Christ-likeness. We're going to all of the all of the, the all of the things around the edge are the same, but the fruit is going to be different because that's what God is looking for. He's looking for a specific kind of fruit out of each one of us, and 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 so we 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 have to attend to the edges. To, to produce the fruit. We don't, we don't go out and say, okay, today I'm gonna focus all of my attention on Christ's likeness. Okay, you can try to do that, but ultimately what you're trying to work on is the stuff around the edges. And that will, as, and the same thing is true. I've, you know, if I'm growing tomatoes, I'm not, I'm not focused on the, the tomato part. I'm focused on the water and the sun and the pests and all of these other things. And if I do all of that well, fruit's just gonna come. And that's what I'm hoping for. It also just happens to be the best life you can possibly live. Yeah, living a life that's Christ-like is the best life we can live. And again, it's not about focusing on that. It's focusing on those things that produce that fruit of that. And it's God's will that we live fruitful lives. And first Colossians, first Colossians, Colossians 1, 9 and 10 I know what I'm talking about. I've read this book before. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Just as I can't just throw seeds in a container and then hope for a harvest, I must tend to my Christ-likeness. I must tend to those things around the edges of that hexagon. This is a call to diligence. This is a call to faith. This is a call to, to, to take these things seriously. In Proverbs 20, verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter, he will beg during harvest and have nothing. Listen, the, the reality is, is if we don't tend to our Christ-likeness in that moment that we need it, it won't be there. And then what are we gonna do? We need to tend to these things. We need to tend to these, the reality of what these things are and what they mean to us on an ongoing basis if we're hoping to be Christ-like in those moments when we need to be Christ-like. Around the edge of that hexagon, you see six things. They're pulled out of our text for this morning. I'll read that and then we'll break it down. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, just one verse today, we can handle that, right? But you, O man of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. You know, we've often focused on the things to flee, right? I, I don't need to preach at you. There's things you need to stay away from, right? And most of us know those things. You know, we need to talk about occasion. We do, we do. But today I'm going to focus on the things that Paul says that we need to pursue, those things that we need to be chasing after, seeking after, striving toward. That's what I'm gonna focus on. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, 
and gentleness. And my prayer that today you're going to hear something in at least one of those that maybe you've never, never seen before, you've never thought about. And just as I do in hydroponics, and I know each of you do too, you don't usually work on all six of them at the same time. You work on one of them at a time. You know, when I'm working on the water, I just work on the water. When it's time to work on the, the pests, I work on the pests. When it's time to work on the nutrients, I work on the nutrients. And, you know, I, and I try to do them in the right order. I try to do them in a, in a logical way. And the same thing is true of all of these things. You're not going to work on all six of these things at the same time. And we could make that list much longer than that. That's just the six that are named in this text. But as you look at this, you can say, okay, I'm a, you know, you wake up in the morning and maybe God will put, you know, uh, love or, or patience. That, that's going to be a good one. You like that one. And, or, or gentleness, maybe. Uh, maybe I need to work on gentleness today. You're going to focus on that one. And then maybe God will tell you to work on your faith the next day or love or something else. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The very first one on this list that I'm going to talk about is pursue righteousness. Righteousness is that state of being right with God. You know, being in a right standing with God. Now, by faith, we are that. You know, by faith. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are in a right standing with God. And so by faith in Christ, all of our sins are forgiven. Which ones? All of them past, present, future, they're all forgiven. And that, and that allows us entry into the very presence of God, both now and in eternal life. And, and we, so we have this right standing with God. So what we attain by faith, the right standing of God, we maintain by faith as well. So we attain a right standing with God through faith in Jesus Christ, but we also need to maintain that right standing and we do that because we don't always do the right thing, right? Can we acknowledge the reality that we don't always do the right thing? We have the wrong thoughts, the wrong reactions to things that happen around us. We, we just sometimes make really stupid choices. It's just life. And so we need to maintain our righteousness, and we do that through repentance and confession. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to attend to our righteousness. And we do that by examining our lives and looking for things that need to be repented of and, and, being, and being brutally honest. And, and, not, and not, you know the worst person to lie to in the whole universe? yourself. And sometimes we do it. I mean, you can't lie to God, so you can try, but you can't. But we try to lie to ourselves and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Or I'll deal with that later. Or whatever. And you lie to yourself, and it just messes up. It just messes up your harvest. And so examine your life. Look for anything that is any unrighteousness and repent. I love that. God is so good to us. You know, some people don't like to talk about repentance. Man, oh man, it's the greatest gift that God gave to the church is repentance. 
You can be clean. You can be free of all of the junk that, you know, that collects in our lives. All that can be cleaned off. All you need to do is repent. To do otherwise just means you're not going to get a good harvest of Christ-likeness. Pursue righteousness. That means you have to go after it. You can't just sit around. I'll just sit around and do nothing. You know, maybe that'll make me righteous. <laughs> nope. <laughs> that ain't going to do it. You know, I, I won't talk to so-and-so today. That'll make me righteous. No, that's not going to do it either. And whoever you're thinking about right now, you need to repent. Pursue righteousness. And that will lead us toward a harvest of Christ-likeness. Second, pursue godliness. Godliness is being like God. That's what it means to be godly, be like God. In Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. We are created to reflect the nature and character and attributes of God. We're, we're created so that the world could see God. Now, we are not God, nor can we ever be God, but we are created in his image so that the world could see him in us, through us. Godliness is about how much God people can see in your life. If they're looking at your life, how much, God can, how much of God can they see when they look into your life? How much of you gets in the way of them seeing God? Now, this is not about acting godly because that could be hypocrisy. If you're just acting godly, it's better than not, but it's about being godly, which means we need to examine what the world can see in our lives and asking the hard question, can they see God in that? Can they see God in, in how I act in the classroom, how I'm working around the pond, how I'm you know, building things, houses and cars and cars and <laughs> machine parts and real estate and IT stuff and warehouse stuff and whatever the world, whatever in the world David does back there. Top secret. Can the world see God in me? Can they see them? Can, he see, can they see God in, in how I handle these different things that come into my life? Can they see God in, in the way that I treat people and talk to people and act around people? Can they see God in how I, how I fill my, my private time? Can, can they see God? Third, pursue faith. Faith is what we know and believe about God and his word. Pursuing faith means that I'm seeking to know God. That, that, in case you're wondering, you don't know him well enough because he's bigger than your capacity to know him. 
And so we're always trying to know him better. We're always trying to understand how he's operating in the world, trying to see more clearly what he's doing in the world, trying to see more clearly what he's trying to say to us in his word. And that's a constant, ongoing thing. If you've read the Bible once, good for you. What should you do? Start again. How many times should you read the Bible? Every time. <laughs> Every time. You read it until you can't, read it anymore, and then you get it on tape and you listen to it. And you will do whatever you have to do to fill your mind with the word of God. Not just fill your mind with the word of God, but learn to understand it. Even those things in Leviticus, learn to understand them because every single word in God's word can be understood. He gave it to us so that we could know him and we know how he's operating in the world, what his plan is for the world. We can know all those things by knowing him. Pursuing faith is done by praying and reading and studying, you know, sitting under the teaching of a Bible teacher. All of these things are important to us. But it has to also include one other thing. Faith must be accompanied with obedience. Without obedience, faith is, is vanity. James tells us, 2.18, James 2.18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith must be doing something. If it's not out there, if people can't look at you and see your faith at work, um, meaning working, not in your workplace, and then you'd see it there too, but working, then it's not real, and it's not useful, and it's certainly not leading you to Christ-likeness. Faith is only real if it's visible for the world to see. It's not private. There is no such thing as private faith. A private faith is a lie. The devil told the church to try to, to, try to deceive it into putting its you know, putting faith underground. That's not what God wants for us. Pursue faith. Fourth, pursue love. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love, it has to do with how we interact with other people. You know, while there is a, a component of feelings in love, it is the expression of love that manifests Christ-likeness, that if, if it's how it's being expressed, which, which has to do, feelings are, feelings are involved, but they're certainly not the reason why we do it, and they're, and they're unnecessary for us to express love. You don't have to feel love to express love. You just have to, you just have to do it. There has to be an expression that can be interpreted as love. That doesn't mean that everybody that you try to love understands what you're doing as love because sometimes we have to do things that they interpret as hate you know you know giving giving your children the truth and telling them you know you can't do that because it's bad for you and oh you don't love me you won't let me do whatever i want no i love you so i won't let you do whatever you want as an expression of my love love is is how we're interacting it is it should be the motivation behind our actions towards others, and it should be for the purpose of expressing love. 1 Corinthians 13, 
verses one through seven. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love, or, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things." To pursue love means viewing others, everyone we come in contact with, everyone, every single human that you come in contact with, viewing them as someone that God wants to love. That every human you come in contact is someone that God wants to love. And he may want you to be the expression of his love. And it means that we, we ask God when we come into contact with that other human, how do you want to love them? How can I express your love to them? We can do it. We, we might think, I, I don't know if I can do that with everyone. Well, yes, you can. We first we do it because, because he first loved us. In 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. But we can also do it because, because the love that God wants to express doesn't come from us. In Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into or in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then God has poured his love in you by the Holy Spirit, and it stands ready to be expressed out by the Holy Spirit through you. How much of God's love is in you? All of it. There is no limitation. When God, when God does something inside of us, there is no limitation to it. So as we, as we strive or seek or pursue love, to love as, as God has loved us, to express that love out to others, it is his spirit, God's spirit dwelling in us that has taken the, God, the love that God has poured in us and then expressing it out to those, others around us. If you have God's love in you, then it is possible to love anyone, anyone. And if we can't love someone, then it is because there is something else in us that's blocking it, that's blocking God's love. Something is standing in the way. Now, it could be pride. It could be unforgiveness, it could be resentment, it could be fear, it could be anger, it could be prejudice, it could be, gosh, 
the, the list goes on and on and on. But there's something standing in the way. If you come to someone and in your heart, in your mind, you say, I can't love that person. You know where the problem is. You have to acknowledge where the problem is. The problem is not in them. The problem is in you. Now, some people make it really hard to love them, right? Do we acknowledge that? Some people make it really, really hard. But loving them doesn't depend upon them. It depends upon us. God tells us to do what is possible. Do what is possible. You do your part. If they reject your love, well, they rejected God's love too. If they reject your attempts to love them, they've been doing that with Jesus for a long time, probably. Do your part. And if you can't, don't blame them. Don't blame them. Doesn't matter how much they've hurt you. Doesn't matter how much wrong they've done to you. Doesn't matter how mean and nasty and ugly they've been. None of that matters. I mean, it matters, but it's not the reason why you shouldn't love them. Makes it hard, right? Does that make it hard with the love the, those, those that, that, that deliberately choose to make it hard? Doesn't make it impossible because God the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's poured his love in you. He's poured the love in you that he wants to pour out to them. We have to let it out. Remember, if you have a problem with that, think back to when God decided to love you. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you hated God, rejected God, ignored God, denied God, did all of the things that unbelievers do, and, and all of us were unbelievers at some point, all of those things that you did, yes, that's all right. I'm gonna love you anyway. And I'm gonna show you how much I love you by sending my son to die for you. Pursuing love means seeking to be God's conduit of love to the graceless and the undeserving. Going out in the world and saying, that I am a conduit of God's love. All I need to do is find something to connect to, find someone to connect to so that I can be an expression of that love. Fifth one, pursue patience. Turn to Romans chapter three, Romans three. Patience is putting up with things. That's an easy way of doing it, especially putting up with things that are inconvenient or unnecessary or uncomfortable or unimportant. We have here in chapter three a glimpse of God's patience or fair forbearance, which is another way of describing patience. In, in chapter three, verse 21, kind of a, it's pretty familiar text. We'll start, we'll read it anyways. But now the righteousness of God apart from the laws revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth 
as a propitiation or a substitutionary sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, in his patience, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Whose sins? Raise your hand. Your sins. to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God has been patient with whom? Me. He's been patient with me. He's been patient with you. How patient? <laughs> Unbelievably patient. I mean, you know my story? I was 40 when I got saved. I, I deserved judgment a long, long time ago. And God said, no, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait. God was patient with us because that was what we needed him to be. We needed God to be patient so that we could respond to him the way that he wanted us to. So that we could be justified by faith in Christ, God had to be patient and wait for us to respond. We are pursuing patience when we stop viewing interactions with other people through the lens of what we want, what we need, what we feel, and we start seeing them by what they need, what they want, what God wants for them. During an interaction, listen, we can all be, we can all be real here, right? We all, at some point, struggle with impatience. Something bothers us. It's hard to go through a day without something kind of just like, okay, that bothers me. Or we get frustrated or angry. And if that happens and we're interacting with another person, that's, that's not being patient. And, and, and just so you know, you don't get bonus points if they can't tell that you're angry or frustrated or bothered. I'm bothered, but they can't see it, so I am so righteous. No. Anytime we start to feel bothered during an interaction with another person or people, we need to ask God to show us what they need. What is it he's trying to do in them? Everything that Christ did on the earth while he was here was for others. He did nothing for himself. He absolutely trusted God for everything. There was nothing that Christ concerned himself with. God took care of him. Now he did what he knew was the right thing to do. He did those things. But he knew with absolute certainty that God would take care of him. Christ-likeness is about trusting God with every moment of your life. 
every moment. You know, we might say, well, I trust God with my life. Yeah, but in that moment where you're bothered, are you trusting him right there? When you're annoyed, are you trusting God right there? When you're frustrated, are you trusting God in that moment? When those moments seem inconvenient, unnecessary, uncomfortable, unimportant, it's in those moments that we need to lean back into God and trust him. In that moment, when I'm feeling bothered, I need to remind myself, do I trust God with whatever this is, whatever this is, whatever is creating this, this impatience within me, why it does it bother me? You know, I, I can tell you from a personal experience, this is something that, we, that we, we all wrestle with. We all wrestle with this. And impatience is not Christ-like. Even if you don't let it out, it's not Christ-like. And it will not lead to the fruit of Christ-likeness. And we need to examine ourselves. We need to sit back and say, why does this bother me? And if the answer has anything to do with you, guess what? It's wrong. Now, again, and we deal with people that are just, they make life hard for us. And, and hopefully they're not doing it on purpose. They, they just make life hard. You know, if we've got children, children never grow out of making life hard for their parents. Sometimes it gets easier than others, but sometimes there's always something going on. You guys heard my story last month. The story that started last month is still going on this month. It's not easy. And I've got to remind myself when, when we need to do something for them not to be bothered by that. They need something. They need something, and right now I am the person that God has put into their lives to provide it, even if it's just patience. I'm the one. I need to trust him. Sixth, pursue gentleness. Gentleness is not about being soft and tender. You know, don't be a pansy. Don't be, don't be, you know, just trying to think of other politically correct words. They're not coming to mind. So since, I'm, since we're being recorded and broadcast I, and we have a child in the room, I'm going to keep it there. Jesus is our example of that. Yeah, uh, you know, if you ever trying to figure some of these things out, look at how Jesus interacted with other people, because we have we have four gospels that tell us how he did it. In in John chapter four, Jesus is is interacting with the woman at the well. That's a fascinating account as you look at him dealing with her. She 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 was messed up. She didn't worship God the way that she was supposed to. She'd been divorced five times, and the woman or the man that she was living with wasn't her husband. So she, you know, she, you know, based on you know, you know, spiritual criteria, you know what? She could, yeah, I mean, she could have deserved. She could have deserved a, a, a pretty strong rebuke. 
That's not what Jesus did. He was very tender with her, very gentle with her. He told her the truth, but he didn't do it in a way that sounded harsh. And then, if you remember the woman caught in the act of adultery, she was an adulteress, caught in the very act. He didn't condemn her. In John chapter 8, 10 and 11, it says, When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Very gentle. And then, Peter. Jesus says to the disciples, oh, by the way, we're going to Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm going to be handed over and crucified, and then I'll be raised to life on the third day. And Peter says, oh, no, you're not. Jesus responds, Matthew 16, 23. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Now, now, in any way of expressing that. Can you, can you say that that was gentle and tender? No, that was strong language. And to the hypocritical religious leaders, Matthew 23, 27 and 20, 28, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Would we describe that as gentle? Not, not in the definition that we would often use. Gentleness is about treating people so as not to break them. With those that are delicate, we treat them as delicate. With those who are strong, we treat them strongly. With those that are hard as bronze, we can pound on them because nothing is going to change them. With the two women, the woman at the well, with, the, with the, the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus knew enough about them to know that they were delicate, that they could be crushed easily. Peter, we know Peter. Peter was not a delicate guy. Peter was hard. Peter was strong, strong-willed. And so Jesus, in his expression to him, used strong words. With the Pharisees, Jesus brought the hammer out. Why? Because it wasn't going to break them. It wasn't going to break them. They wouldn't break. Gentleness is about treating people so as not to break them. With my grandson Harvey, I relate to him with wrestling and Nerf gun fights. With Aurora, it's cuddling and crayons. They're different. If I try to wrestle with Aurora, she sometimes wants to do that. What do you think ends up happening? Crying. Sometimes, sometimes Harvey will cry too, but he gets over it really fast. We treat people based on what they can handle. 
To pursue gentleness means we get to know who we are interacting with. We cannot treat everyone like they are the Samaritan woman. You can't, you can't say to the hard-hearted Pharisees, oh, well, here, here's the truth. You know, you know, those who will worship me will worship me in spirit and truth. They would have laughed him out of the room. We can't treat everybody like the Pharisees, bringing the hammer down on them because it will crush some. Gentleness is about getting to know people, getting to know who they are and how we need to communicate with them in such a way as to, as to express God's nature and character and will and truth to them in a way that will not break them. And that means sometimes we can't say some of the things we want to. We can't say it in the way that we want to because we know that if we do it, that, that it, will, it will break them and they will not hear another word that we say. You know, if they're strangers, then we default to a more softer touch. Our goal is a greater harvest of Christ-likeness in our lives. And, and if you've never thought about that, then that would be a good thing for you to start with, to realize that's what God wants. He saved you, and he left you on the earth so that people could see Jesus. To see Jesus, you need to do your part. And that means tending to these things on this list. And there are others, but these are the six we have because that's the text I chose. If you omit or ignore one or more of them, what's going to be the effect? A poorer harvest of Christ-likeness. And if you do it poorly enough, there might not be any Christ-likeness coming out of you. Just like, just like those pests came and devastated my garden, there's no fruit coming out of it. Actually, I'm going to get like four tomatoes out of my garden this year. That's not much of a harvest. God's looking for more than that. If you're not tending to those things on a regular basis, pick one every morning, wake up and say, okay, what will we work on today? and allow God to do that work in you, then you're going to be blessed. If my garden is well-tended, then I can, I can look forward to being blessed with a harvest, good harvest. You know, the, our grapevines, they, they've been, they've been, they don't need a lot of tending right now, and, so, and they, we had a huge harvest this year. If my Christ-likeness that part of me that God is trying to reflect his nature and character and goodness and grace and mercy and love and compassion and all the things that are God, all that part, all that stuff that is Christ in me, and he's trying to get that out of me, I need to do my part and tend to those things that will produce that out of my life. And just as I can't sit passively and expect an abundant harvest out of my garden, the same thing is true about Christ-likeness. You cannot sit passively and become more Christ-like. It has to be active. Actively pursued. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That word keep 
has the idea of tending and guarding and 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 all of that. So if we're gonna if 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 it is if it is where the issues of life and specifically the issues of the life of God are are springing forth, then we need to we need to keep it with all diligence. That means we got to be busy. We got to be working at it. We got to not quit at it. Pathfinders are actively pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And as an aside, the reason why we gather together, because you can't do it alone. You need to do it in community with other people that are trying to do it. Because it's not a, it's not a solo project. God never created his people to be alone. He created all of them to be in community with others of his people. And they're going to do it for the sake of those God has called them to lead. We're here in a men's group. We're here talking to men about being men. As, you're, as a man, you are created to lead. The reason why we do this, first for God's glory, but then we do it for them who are following, who God has ordained to follow. Now, they may not be doing it very well. They may not be choosing to do it. That doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but it doesn't change how you're to behave. You're to do it anyways and to be faithful no matter what. We do it for God's glory, the blessing of others, especially those God's called us to lead, and we do it for the growing of faith, theirs and ours. Pathfinders are pursuers. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for this time as we've taken this time and talked about what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. I pray for these men. Touch their lives, touch their hearts, touch their minds right now. Make it, make it important to them in their hearts. Maybe, maybe this is just something they just haven't really spent that time, much time thinking about, thinking, you know, all I need to do is just you know, kind of just keep showing up and, and it'll be enough. Lord, it's not. Lord, just as, just as if we want to harvest in our garden, we need to work at it. Same thing is true of our Christ-likeness. If we want, if we want to be more Christ-like, we're gonna to have to work at it. And Lord, help us to, to, to know just how important that is, that it's not, not some small thing, it's not, it's, not, it's not some church thing, it's not any of that, but it's about you, God. It's about glorifying you, it's about seeing the world through your eyes and helping them to see you in us. And so I pray, Lord, minister to our hearts Help us to, to take this seriously, that we would keep our heart with all diligence and that we would tend to the garden of our own hearts that out of it might come a great harvest of Christ-likeness. We praise you, we thank you, we love you. I lift these men up to you and I pray for your anointing over them and we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for being a part of Pathfinders. This series is for men who want to make a difference in the world around them. We want to partner with you on this exciting journey. Go to calvaryfv.com slash pathfinders and click on the engage button. We'll periodically send you encouragements and exhortations to be the pathfinder God created you to be. Every man needs help periodically, so please let us know if there is any way that we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 62488. 
If this material has blessed you in some way, you find it useful in any way, please leave a comment or review and subscribe to it, this channel, so that you don't miss any other things that we publish. And send it to someone else that might need to hear it or see it. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ, to find their way. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 62488. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus. Jesus.